Father, we come before you again tonight as we're going through this beautiful psalm and as we focus tonight on the benefits of serving you. These scriptures, uh, verses 1 through 7, are called the benefit scriptures. And uh, so, Lord, we really want to dive in to those particular ones this evening. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And uh, they are actually in your Bible. Maybe some of you, uh, the little titles at the top of your Bible, it would say, The Benefits of Serving the Lord. And they usually say these are verses 1 through uh, 7. Or actually 1 through 5 are the benefit scriptures. So in verse 2, it says very clearly, Forget not his benefits. And we are not, let's see, that's right, yeah, forget, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And of course, one of the benefits is that God does provide for us. Uh, we shared, I shared with you this morning uh, about how God provided for House of Ruth uh, when God required of me to give the little that I had, and that he would take my pain and the little bit I had, the little, just the little bit of oil that I had. Just that little bit of pain, and, and if I would give it to the Lord, that he would use that. Remember Elijah in the movie said, what do you have? And she goes, I don't have anything. And he goes, what do you have? And she goes, I just have a little bit of oil. And that's what the Lord says to us tonight. What do you have? And you might be saying, I don't have anything. I have nothing to give. And he, the Lord just says, what do you have? And think about it. We have so much. When I gave over my pain to the Lord, also it helped me. By helping others, it took me out of that bondage as well. 33 years ago, House of Ruth started. 33 years ago, God required of me to give what I had. And now I can say, really, literally, I have counseled with thousands of girls and shared my story with them about my, what I went through and what they don't have to go through or what they could choose to do differently or choose a Christian family that they don't have to go through not knowing anything about where their child goes. My story and maybe your story is not anything like the widow and oil story, but you have a story. You have something that you've been through that God wants to use. Maybe there's an area in your life, and we talked about it, a pain or a problem, but there's an, God has an answer for that. And he's been dealing with this all week on, on that. Some of, the, some of you ladies that I've spoken to have deep problems, deep pains. But God has been delivering all weekend. What is the number one reason why women will not deal with some of these issues in their lives? What do you think the number one reason is? Fear. And what are we afraid of? Well, we're afraid that if we, mo- we, if we make that change, it's not going to work, right? I'm going to make all this effort to make a change, and in the end, it won't work. Or what if I make the change and I don't like it? Or what if I make the, tra- make the change and it gets worse, because sometimes it does? Or what if I make the change and it's a, and it's a fail- failure, what if I do get into something and it fails? Fear keeps us paralyzed. 
Now, I had a lot of fear in my life from the time I was about 20 to 30. I had agoraphobia so bad I could barely leave the house. It was so bad, I was paralyzed with fear. I don't even want to tell you how bad this got, but it got really bad. I had really bad thoughts because I felt like I didn't have any hope at all that this was ever going to get better. And you know, for a pastor's wife to have agoraphobia, which is, you know, afraid of going outside and afraid of public speaking, not real good to have. You don't want to have a pastor's wife who doesn't like people, doesn't want to go outside, and doesn't like (laughs) speak in front of people. This fear tormented me to the point of, I can't even tell you how bad it got. I cried so hard over this. I ached over this terrible fear in my life. And then when this ministry started at House of Ruth, the Lord started showing me, Karen, the needs of the women are greater than your fear. Their needs are greater than your fear. Won't you help them? And by helping them, I got well. It didn't happen overnight. I wish it would have I wish I would have had a miracle. We all want a miracle, but see, I got a healing. God healed me slowly. And then pretty soon I was I went to a prayer I actually went to a prayer meeting one time at my church. I was so afraid to pray in front of people. I couldn't pray. And the only way I could go to the prayer meeting was that I would have to be in a dark room. And the women were going why are we in a a dark room for the prayer meeting? And I had a little nightlight. And I said, well, in the days in Rome, when the... (laughs) Now you got to remember, my mom taught me, on the spot answers. In the days in Rome, in the catacombs, the early Christians didn't have much light just a very small candle in the corner. That's why we're in this dark room tonight. And somebody would say, but what does that have to do with us? And so I just had to find ways to deal with this fear. Now, I always had to leave the door open. You know, anybody know about the door open? Yeah. And then pretty soon I was able to even be in a room with the door shut. And then I remember that I could actually leave the light on. And I remember, you know, I would start reading a scripture before my throat closed up. And then I'd go, could could you just, you know, very religiously, would you take over reading the word of God? (laughs) Like I'm sharing the Bible when I couldn't read it myself. And pretty soon I read a whole Psalms. And pretty soon I was praying out loud. And God was healing me as I was working with the girls And God allowed all this right in the middle of my agoraphobia. And then I just remember one day, the lady was doing our ladies' Bible study. She quit, and she goes, now you're going to have to teach. Teach? I remember the first time I taught, I was shaking so hard. I was shaking, and my mouth was shaking so hard that I actually took my hand, and I slapped my hand. I go, leave me alone. (laughs) I couldn't stand how much control the flesh had over me. It was like, leave me alone. I just wanted it to leave me alone, and it finally settled down. But the only way is that you've got to do those things that you don't like. You've got to keep trying. 
It's, it really is. Don't laugh at, you know, so that crazy movie. It is baby steps. We have to take those little baby steps sometimes. And we have to just kind of move forward. The Bible has a lot to say about fear and anxiety. Let's look at 2 Timothy 1, seven. Second Timothy 1, seven. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 1.7, for it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Wow. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. You gr- and you might be saying, well, great. Now I feel worse. This fear that I have is not even of the Lord. So if, this, if my fear isn't of the Lord, then I guess I'm not of the Lord. That's how I rationalized what I was going through. But wait. Remember, the widow had fear, didn't she? She had fear, and we have fear. You have fear. The Bible doesn't say that we won't have fear. He just says he's not the author of it. He's not the author of fear. Fear has many, many root words. And we were talking today in our, in our panel discussion about fear and anxiety. Fear has many root words. And some of you are not going to like what I'm about to share because it's very, this is a little bit contrary to how you believe God created you. But it is a lie because this scripture says so. Being timid is a lack of assurance, courage, bravery, easily alarmed, fear, having your emotions aroused because you think there's an impending danger. That's being timid. But the other root word for fear is shy. Now we think shy is just adorable, don't we? We think being shy is just just so cute, you know. Especially if you got you're a real skinny girl and you just, you're just so shy. <laughs> See, we think that that's cute. And I've seen many mothers; they have their children around them, and you go up and you say hi to one of the children, and the kids will just pull back and they hide behind their mother's dress and they're pulling on their clothes, and the mother will say, "Oh, it's okay. They're just shy." And I, and I just want to go, please don't say that. God didn't make them that way. The Bible says that he's not giving us, he did not give us this spirit of fear. Now your kids may be shy, but don't encourage it. Because let me tell you, that little girl that is so shy when she's two and three, she might not want to go to school when she's five. Because that shyness now has turned to fear. And you've been encouraging and telling her how adorable she is by being shy and how cute it is, and it's not cute. Actually, it's a very dangerous thing to encourage in your children. God did not give you a spirit of being shy. Now, it might just be a personality trait that you're just not outgoing. But don't think that shyness is something that God gave you. The Bible is very clear that we're not to be shy. We are to be bold and brave, not brassy and pushy, but we are to be bold and brave. That's how God wants us to be as Christian women. Please be careful 
in this area of shyness with your, with your children. Being shy is not cute. So God did not give us this spirit of fear. So as we're moving down, we have the fear of the Lord, but not he does not want us to have fear. One of the benefits he talks about here is he wants to care for us financially. In Matthew six twenty six, Jesus says, Will you look at the birds and how I feed them? And I care for those birds. You've read this scripture before. And you might be thinking, well, you know, he might be taking care of the birds, but, you know, i got to be paying the rent this month. And I don't know how I'm going to do that. The Lord is going to provide. He says in this scripture, in Psalms 103, that he will provide. That's one of, one of the benefits that he has for us. How are you doing financially, ladies? How are you doing? Is your credit cards just jacked up to where you can't put one more thing on them? Well, look at you, all those people laughing. I've been there. But you know what? It's not funny. When that $20 meal that you bought five years ago, with all the interest you're paying on that, you, that meal cost you about $500. We're not being good stewards of what God's given us. Like I said, Crown Financial Ministries is out there to help you. Another person who deals with the finance, Christian finances is Dave Ramsey. Anybody heard of him? Listen, I listen to him every day on the radio. I love Dave Ramsey. I, I just love to hear his financial advice that he gives to Christians. And he's on the radio, and he gives good, sound advice. Uh, one of the books he has out right now is The uh, Total Money Makeover. Get it. Because there's principles in God's word about money. Are you tithing? Because if you're not... You should be. The Bible says that you should be tithing. Are you saving? Yes, you should be saving. The Bible says you should be saving. Did you know that everything that you own and everything that you make and everything that your husband makes belongs to God? Do you know that the word says in Deuteronomy 10.14... To the Lord your God belongs heaven and earth and everything in it. 100% of what you own in your home, you think that's your house? That's God's house. And he says, I just want 10% and I'm going to give you 90 and I want you to be a steward of my money and I want to see what you do with what I've given you back. Everything you own belongs to the Lord and he only wants 10%. But we have a little bit of an issue with that because sometimes we think that's legalistic. Well, then do something. Should I, should I tithe on the gross or the net? Well, I don't know. We're, you want to be blessed on the gross or the net? That's not hard. I want the most I can be blessed on. Where you have to be God's stewards over his money. In Matthew 25, verses 14 through 28, there's a story about Uh, A man who's giving certain talents to certain people. He gives one, five, and ten. But one of the men took the talents. The other men had, had taken the money and invested it and made more. But one man said, when the when the steward came back, he said, "Where's where's my money I gave you?" And he said, "Oh gosh, I was so afraid. I was so afraid." When, when I got this money, I just didn't know what to do. I was so afraid, so I just didn't do anything with it. And you know what the Lord said to him? Anybody? 
you're a wicked, you're a wicked servant. You're wicked. You didn't take care of what I gave you. Now give it back so I can give it to the one that made the most interest. God is concerned that we are blessed financially. It's one of the benefits he gives us. But it's sort of one of those scriptures with a promise. There's some, there are things that we have to do too. We have to be a good steward over what God has given us. And if we're good stewards, we're going to get more. Now, I'm not sharing this like a get-rich scheme here. These are just biblical principles that God says, I'll bless you and I'll take care of you. Are you a good steward over your money? In Psalms 103.3, it talks about that he has forgiven us our sins and he has also uh, healed us of all our diseases. That's what it says. It says in verse 3, who forgives all our iniquity and he's healed all of our diseases. Well, Karen, I don't know if that's true or not. My mom just died of cancer. My grandma just died. Somebody just died in my family. God didn't heal them. And that's true. And as a pastor's wife, I don't have all the answers to those kinds of questions. All I know is what the Word says. And the Word says that he heals heals us of all of our diseases. So, is death a form of healing? I would just say, well, the person didn't go to heaven with that disease. So I guess death must be part of the healing. You go, Karen, now that's a stretch. Come on. That's a, you're really stretching the word. I'm just telling you, I believe the word. It says he heals us of all of our diseases. I know that Jesus said that it is appointed unto man once to die. It says that, that God has numbered our days. In Psalms 139.14, it says, All of our days have been ordained of the Lord, and they were written in a book. Even before you came to be, I knew the number of your days. Can I trust the Lord with my ordained days? I don't really have a choice, do I? But I know this, we need to pray for God to heal us, and then we say, Now, Lord, your will be done. Because some people will get healed. When I was 27 years old, right in front of me, my mom and I were talking about where we were going to go to dinner. And within 30 seconds later, she was gone. She just fell and had a stroke, and she was gone. We worked on her. We gave her CPR. We did everything. I was begging God, begging him, Lord, if you will, please give my mom back to me. I will serve you all the days of my life. I will serve you. I will serve you. Don't take my mom. And my mom was gone. Did God play a trick on me? No. It was my mom's time to go that day. In 2008, on Christmas Day, my little um, great nephew fell in our spa. On Christmas Day, guys. Christmas We were busy. We were just getting dishes out of the dishwasher. We just got busy for a moment, just a second. And the 18-month-old Jared fell in the spa and he drowned. Christmas night. They took him to the hospital. They put him on life support. They were 
taking papers to get, take his organs to donate to other children. The social workers came. They were talking to my house, Christmas Day, Christmas night, my, my nephew. I have nine grandchildren. My brother only has two. I knew my family was going to be destroyed from this. We prayed over him. My husband said, I want everybody in this emergency room to stop what they're doing and pray for a Christmas miracle. This is my nephew, and we're going to pray for him. And Jared just sat up and looked at his mom and said, no. The doctor said, don't even get excited about this. That child was in the water for over eight minutes, 108 degrees, highly chlorinated. This child is so brain damaged, don't you even get excited. They took him over to Children's Hospital. Four days later, after every test they could give that child, Jared was absolutely normal. He didn't lose one dendrite. You go, but that didn't happen in my situation. All I can say is it wasn't Jared's time to go. And I think that when he sat up and said no and looked at his mom after being in heaven, no. I believe that. Just a few years ago, my sister-in-law, the grandmother, my brother's wife, they were talking about heaven, and Jared stopped what he was doing on the floor playing with toys, and he looked up and he said, Mama, are you talking about Jesus? She goes, yeah. He goes, Mama, I saw Jesus. She goes, you did? Come over here, Jared. <laughs> she goes, tell me what Jesus looks like. And Jared said, oh, Mama, he's a kind kind father and then he went down and played on the toys just wiped us out it just wasn't his time to go the Lord let him come back I could share so much about what Jared went through it was such a tough night guys when he was laying there on the grass my sister-in-law because we're women of prayer and we're women of the word we looked at each other and we said, we're going to cry for mercy. Not grace. Mercy. Because we should have been watching him. In a way, this was our fault. So we had to cry out to the judge for mercy. Asking God to forgive us for not watching him. Just, oh gosh, it was just for a second. You don't know, it was just a moment. And he, we found out later that he was reaching for a, a toy and fell in just ever so silently in the water. We found out later that Orange County has the highest rate of drownings in the United States on Christmas Day. That's why the social worker was there with her paperwork. A little three-year-old in the next room had died. A little boy had died right around the same time we were there. just wasn't his time to go. But as we cried out for mercy and my sister-in-law, we just tracked in We said, God, we just, this was our fault. We didn't deserve, Jared doesn't deserve, but we weren't watching him. And God gave us mercy. Our mercies are new every morning. But I want you to know something. If God would have taken Jared home that night, he still would have been merciful. 
I believe that because the Lord would have taken him home. And when Jerry comes into my office and he just rips out all the books in my shelf <laughs> and I think, this is definitely my nephew, I just have to let him do it. Because I think this child could be in a box up at Rose Hills. And God gave this little boy back to us. His mercies are just new every single morning. And had he gone, his mercies would have been to us to comfort us and to get us through that trial. I was sharing this story in Las Vegas at a Calvary, and a mother came up to me. She goes, I couldn't believe your story. Big smile. I said, did you? She goes, the same thing happened. The same thing happened to me and my daughter. I couldn't believe what you were sharing. And I said, well, how old is your little girl now? She goes, oh, no, she, she died that night. God was faithful to me, too. She was so brain damaged. God took her home. God gave me mercy, too. And I thought, that's maturity, guys. That's maturity in the Lord and trusting completely in the Lord. Another benefit is in Psalms Another benefit is in Psalms 37.4, one of my personal favorites, maybe you too, is to take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, after God gave House of Ruth to me and he took away my pain and here I am working on all these adoptions and all these girls that I'm working with, my mind started to, to drift back to a verse, my life verse, in Psalms 138.8. My verse for Natalie, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Because when I prayed for her, I said, Lord, I don't want this to be good and I don't want it to be great. I want this to be perfect. God will perfect that which concerneth me. And I prayed and I said, Lord, I want to find my daughter. I want to find out where she is and I want to find out if she's okay. And within about a month, I had her name and address in my hand. Now, I prayed and asked God for permission if he would allow me to find my daughter. And the Lord gave me a verse in Luke 15. And that verse says, If any of you have 99 sheep and one that's lost, you go find that one that's lost. And you bring that one back. And when you bring it back, you rejoice with your neighbors. And I took that as a green light to go find my daughter. But she was only 13. What was I going to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, 13. Lord, 14. Lord, 15. 16. 17. Nothing. Well, I, I did do one thing. <laughs> On her 15th birthday, I had her phone number. I called over there, and I knew she answered the phone. And I said, hi, I'm calling from Teen Magazine, and I'm just calling to see if uh, we could just ask you a few questions and see what if we could uh, get some information from you. And I said... Uh, well, I said, would that be okay? Oh, yeah, that'd be okay. fine. Well, what kind of music do you like? <laughs> and uh, where do you go to school? 
And I'm writing all this down. And then I started getting scared. And I go, I said, well, by the way, how old are you? She goes, well, I'm, I'm 15 today. I said, oh, happy birthday, honey. And that's, all I, that's all I ever did was my little fake teen call <laughs> on her birthday. But I kept my phone bill because I thought someday I'm going to show her that I called her on her birthday. I prayed and I asked God if I could find her. The Lord didn't give me any answer till around she was 17 years old. And the Lord said, now, now. So I called the agency where I had placed her up for adoption. I left my phone number with the social worker and I said, if they ever want to have anything to do with me, here's the number. You just give it to them. I won't do anything. I'm not going to go look through the garden gate or anything. I'm going to wait for the call. And one day at work, I got a call. My daughter, Natalie, now renamed Linda, was now 17 and a half. Her mother asked me if, if I would be interested in meeting with her. Really? She said, Linda's got some issues. Do you think you could help us out? <laughs> yes, I would love to do anything. I would love to help anything. Would I help? Then the very next night at 6 o'clock, I was actually on the phone with Linda. And I met her two months later at her house. What a beauty. Let me tell you, when I walked in the door, I just thought, oh my gosh, this, this, this is my daughter. She was just that little baby grown up. And as we sat at the table and her mother made us lunch, her mother said, would you like some sparkling cider? And I said, you know, I just, I just kind of can't drink sparkling cider. And she giggled. Okay, well, I guess that was funny. And she said, well, what would you like to drink? And I said, well, I, I would just like to have a glass of milk. And she goes, milk, huh? And I said, yeah. She laughed a little bit. And I said, oh, by the way, uh, could you put a few ice cubes in that milk? I like my milk with ice cubes. Her and her dad just burst out laughing. And I thought, okay, what's up? She goes, well, first of all, Linda's never been able to drink sparkling cider. She just upsets her. She only drinks milk with ice. <laughs> we both wore red and gray that day. Would I help? What a beauty. She wanted to know me. She had written a report in class the year before saying, I'm 17. Next year, I can meet my birth mother. The first time I talked to Linda's mother on the phone, she asked me, where I worked. Well, she was calling me at House of Ruth, and she said, isn't House of Ruth part of Calvary Chapel Downey? I said, yeah. <laughs> she said, well, do you know Jeff Johnson? <laughs> yeah, I know him really well. <laughs> she goes, well, I listen to him every day on the radio. And, and she go, I said, well, Jeff's my husband. She goes, you've got to be kidding. Are you the one with the ear infections? I go, yeah, that's me. That's, that's me. She goes, well, are you a Christian? I go, well, yeah. I go, are you? She goes, yeah. My daughter was brought up in John MacArthur's church. 
I couldn't believe it. They had, she had a heritage of all kinds of pastors and, and, and Christians in her family. And I thought, you know, just like Moses, when I put her in that little basket and put her in the Nile, God just took Linda right where she should be. Even before I was a Christian, he took her just to the right family. I was able to take her to Israel uh, two or three times. She met a boy in our church and married a boy in our church. <laughs> Psalms 138.8, God will perfect that which concerneth me. Now my husband found that we found out that he had a son that was placed for adoption. Now our heads are spinning. We found out later that his son was placed with a Jewish family in Huntington Beach. Hmm, we live in Seal Beach. Okay, his parents, unbeknown to anything, named him Jeffrey. Yes, true, this is all true stuff. They named him Jeffrey. I couldn't even make this stuff up. But see, my kids don't know about any of this. So my daughter, or my older daughter, Chrissy, I thought, well, we better start telling them the story. I'm, I'm gonna try, I only have two more pages. I'll, I'm, I'll hurry. I took my daughter, Christy, down the beach one day, and I wrote her name in the sand, Christy. And then I wrote Tara underneath her name, and then on top of her name I put Natalie. And she goes, well, who's that? I said, well, Christy, you have, you have an older sister. She looked at me and she goes, Mom, I always knew. I go, how did you know? She said, my whole life, Mom, you've always said to me, Oh, Christy, I love you twice as much. I never knew why you loved me twice as much. You were loving me for Natalie. I said, I probably was. She goes, I want to see your picture. (laughs) I said, all right, I'll show you, but don't you tell Tara, because Tara was younger. So don't you tell Tara. But I didn't tell Christy about Jeffrey. Just, you know, a little bit at a time. (laughs) Christy and I were gone one day, and we come home, and Tara's crying her eyes out. And we walk in, we go, "What's Tara, what's the matter? She goes, oh, Mom, you know how Albert on Little House on the Prairie is adopted? I go, yeah. She goes, well, Dad's watching Little House on the Prairie with me, and Albert's adopted. He looks at me and says, hey, Tara... You know how Albert's adopted? Well, you have a brother. (laughs) My daughter, Christy, looks at me and says, there's more? (laughs) Tara says, what is she talking about? (laughs) I go, where's dad? Oh, he went to church. It's Wednesday night. Tara goes, what's she talking about, Mom? Mom, what's she talking about? And I go, well, Tara, actually, you have a brother and a sister. And Christy's going, well, wait a minute. I, I used to be the oldest, and now I'm the, now I'm the third? And Tara goes, well, I'm the youngest, so I don't care anyway. I always said to Jeff when he came home, thanks a lot. (laughs) 
But God has used it all to the good. We love Linda's mom and dad. We've taken them to Israel with us twice. Sometimes when I would go over to visit Linda, I just stayed in the kitchen with Carolyn. We just were taught we were just mo- two moms talking about our kids and and Linda had an older brother that was also adopted. It was just wild. We just only God could do that. Jeffrey is not saved. He's, he was raised in a, in a Jewish family, but, you know, we were able to take him to Israel and, and get him really... <laughs> he was so messed up over there. <laughs> He's going, I'm a Jew, and my dad's a pastor. Yeah. We took him to the wailing wall, and he goes, I'm confused. It's like, it's all right, Jeffrey. You're going to be okay. We met these children when they were both 18. They were born three months apart. We're still praying for Jeffrey to get saved. He lives up in San Francisco. His parents spent about $50,000 putting him through school, and now he's a taxi cab driver. You know, what are you going to (laughs) do? But these are just some of the benefits that God has for us. So many more benefits that I could ever even speak about at this retreat. The benefits that God has for us. But this I know. Tomorrow we're going to talk a lot about reconciliation. We have spoken about blame, fear, illness, brokenness, pain, guilt, and unforgiveness. Are you guys ready to go to reconciliation? Are you ready to go? Because guess what? There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5.11 that says this, Because we got saved, Jesus said this to us, I have come to give to you a ministry of reconciliation. See, when we got saved, the minute we got saved, we're in the ministry. We're in the ministry of reconciliation. And I ask of you ladies, please do not fear reconciliation don't fear God's only going to take us as far as we can go and then we can back off until we're ready to go further but but we've done a lot this weekend we've really worked through a lot of emotions and I think we're going to be able to do this tomorrow Father I just thank you for tonight I thank you for these ladies I thank you that we could go this far and now Lord as you take us further along the journey tomorrow to that wonderful ministry of reconciliation. Father, I pray for every single woman in this room who is dealing with something like I did, that, Lord, it's going to be a Romans 8.28 for them as well, that you're going to use it all to the good. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.